Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is up, everybody? Ben from Blockbuster Mentality here once again. Hope everyone's doing well. Had a great week and uh, appreciate you tuning in for this week's show. We have a very talented actress, uh, Victoria Gordon, on the show. She's promoting her pilot season. It's a comedy anthology miniseries uh, online. You can check it out on YouTube. It's uh, five sitcom pilots ranging from broad multi-camera comedy to more intimate dramedy. These pilots were produced as pilot season, a five-part miniseries filmed in entirely over zoom so taking advantage of the situation we're in uh she that's what she did she she wrote in it started in it and everything like that so uh we talk a lot about that and uh the movie she chose to talk about is troop beverly hills with shelly long i get into how i was a little bit uh, surprised by that choice this is my first viewing uh it's uh, apparently a cult classic now so you know learn Learn something new every day, but uh, no, it was great chatting with her. Uh, make sure you're uh, subscribed to us on iTunes, rate, review us. We're, we're climbing up those charts because of your ratings and reviews and your downloads and your listens, so please continue to do that um, if you haven't done so already. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. But uh, yeah, we've got a lot of great shows coming up and have been having a lot of fun on the show. And uh, we're, let's keep it going, folks. Let's keep it going. You guys, uh, yeah, the, the charts uh, were, were doing quite well last week uh, into this week. So uh, let's let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Got a lot of guests lined up and uh, I'm excited for you guys all to hear. But anyways, here's my chat with Victoria Gordon on Troop Beverly Hills. California, right? Yes. Yeah, and you're you're always you always been a California. That I have. A Californian. <laughs> I am a true Cal, and I talk like that too when I'm talking about directions. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was like, oh, I took this to that. We, I've been to like events where that's literally how everyone talks. Like, if you arrive at a wedding, and it's like, I remember arriving at a wedding once. It was in a very weird place, and everyone was like, well, how did you get here? It's like I took this to this to this. Yeah, that's how we really talk. Nah, I'm a East Coast guy. So why why is that? Why do you guys always, you know, what, what you guys, you know, why what is it about that? About the roads and you take the four oh, is it four oh five, four oh nine? Oh yes, yes. There's the four oh five. I spend a lot of time on the four oh five. You know, I think it emerged from the fact that LA is like really spread out. A lot of cities, you know, are like not that obviously not that way. I mean, you look at New York, it's very tall. You look at LA, it's very wide. So in order to get everywhere, you have to take all these different freeways and you know side streets and all that. It's just uh, the virtue of how our city is planned or not planned, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, yeah. I'm in uh, Tampa, Florida, so yeah, it's just a transplant transplant city. So everyone's from everywhere else, and I'm you know, 
I, I was literally just saying this morning. So a couple of years ago, I had a TV show that was on local TV in Tampa. And I went down to Tampa to do some press for it. And I stayed at the Meridian, which is an old courthouse that is now a hotel. Oh, okay. Yeah. I love Tampa. I was literally, I was talking because I have a friend who's moving to Florida. And I said, well, geez, if I'm moving to Florida, I'd be looking at Tampa. So yeah. I <laughs> yeah, Tampa's, it's a cool area. I just, yeah, if you, you got to love the heat uh, and the beach and stuff. If you if you want to live here full time, that's for sure. And and I don't, so, but I'm still here, you know. <laughs> but no, I'm glad I'm glad you like it. That's great. Um, now, you you're, you come from a line of showbiz, right? I mean, you, you're, I know your grandfather was a writer uh, and other family members too. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So in my dad's family, which is what you're thinking of, my grandfather was a TV comedy writer. Um, he worked for about 40 straight TV seasons before he retired, which is very unique. He didn't have a season off. Wow. And he worked for shows like Jack Benny and all the way to his last show was really 227, um, which is a great little sitcom from the late 80s, early 90s. And so sorry about my little <laughs> bit of Jack. Come on, Jack. You're interrupting. <laughs> Funny thing about Jack is he's a 12 pound Shih Tzu and he thinks he's like a 40 pound. <laughs> I have no idea what, but truly he will bark at other dogs. There are these two dogs that we see all the time. He's big, like goldens and he barks at them. Like he's going to eat them. And they're like, we don't care. Yeah. Like, like, like nice try little dog, you know, uh, but that's Jack. Anyway, he's, um, he's got so a Napoleon that- complex. He does. And it's kind of cute. You know, there are these dogs in our neighborhood that we see all the time where they have a mix of big and little, they have like eight dogs and they have a mix of big and little dogs. And I love seeing how the little dogs just bark like crazy and the big dogs just stand next to them. Like, yeah, (laughs) listen to them. I mean, it's funny how these dogs work and my dog is a character. He has such a quirky personality and yeah, he really thinks he's going to protect all of them. I have no (laughs) idea what, but it's, it's Jack's house. I'm just a guest. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, my grandfather was a TV comedy writer and he had a great career and he won three Emmys. So when I was a kid, I used to see Emmys in his house and that was very inspiring because I knew that that meant excellence. Um, and my dad worked in TV as well. He was a TV director for the majority of his career. He worked on shows like Solid Gold um, and America's Funniest Home Videos. And oh. on my mom's side... My great uncle, who was like another grandfather to me, was a symphony conductor. And what was cool about his orchestra was it was really the first, at least in California, if not in the country, young people's orchestra. It was founded in 1937. So he was very ahead of his time. And because he was working with young people, he would get celebrities to come to his concerts. So the story my mom always tells, just as an example, is when she was about six years old, he said, who do you want to come to the concert? And she said, Annette, Annette Bonicello. And he made that happen because... He could literally call up different publicists yeah. and say, please come do this. And Annette came. My mom thought that was the coolest thing ever. So <laughs> I grew up with a lot of people around the business. But I think what's really important about what I grew up with is that I saw that it wasn't all glamorous. Not everything that my family experienced or showed me was a Hollywood premiere or a fancy event. I saw behind the scenes a lot, too. And I saw that it's not always big parties and fancy clothes. It's a lot of work and a lot of people doing a lot to make those few people shine. So yeah. I had a really clear sense of what I was getting into. Right. Yeah. And that's, it's interesting too, because you have, 
you know, different aspects of show business. You know, you know, you have the TV side and then you have, you know, orchestra, which is, you know, totally a separate entity, really. And it seems like, I mean, from what, I, what I've read and what I've seen, it seems like you, you kind of are meshed in kind of all of that with what you're doing. Is that, I mean, am I right to assume that or it, was it, uh, I was, oh, my son, see, I got dogs coming in too it's a but it's a human kid um <laughs> is it uh kind of an os- osmosis thing that uh you uh kind of just absorbed it all well i think growing up with both sets of family nearby i mean i can point like each one was within a mile of my house and not even so i grew up with all of my grandparents nearby and all of their influences nearby and i think the main things that i saw beyond just you know the music and the writing and all that was showmanship and a sense of, you know, naturally performing. I think everyone in my family had a very good sense, a good command of how to appear before an audience or on camera, how to present themselves. And I think I learned that first. And then I applied that to what I had as my own talents. And in that case, I mean, I began playing violin when I was four. Um, I began singing when I was like 11 um, oh, wow. or 12, something like that. I was always acting from the time I was a little kid. I did drama camp and stuff. And um I really didn't get into the writing until my teen years because I was under the impression that I was a bad writer. So it took me a long time to be like, wait, no, I have ideas. You don't have to be perfect to write. You can just write. Then to go from that to no, wait, actually my ideas are good and people like what I'm writing. I don't know how I got it in my head that I was a bad writer. So, I mean, it's been kind of a progression, but it all started from that base of showmanship and being good on camera or on stage yeah so was that just like sort of uh you you said you don't know where it came from but uh you know you had an idea in your head that you were not a good writer was that just an insecurity type thing like just you know ah, it's not good it's you know i'm doing it so it can't be good type of thing i think okay well it's worth noting that i am a millennial and i came of age with the internet so like when i was in second grade i won a prize in school actually two prizes in school for my writing so like i was clearly on that track and i kind of wanted to be a novelist when i was a kid because i was obsessed with meg cabot the author of the princess diaries books and i thought i might go in that direction but then i think there was definitely a period there as a you know tween girl in you know the early days of myspace and all that where Let's be honest, the internet was a very interesting place to be a tween girl in the early days of MySpace. There was a lot of just stuff I wouldn't necessarily encourage anyone to read. Yeah. Um, and I think I felt like, oh, geez, I, I'm just another one of these girls writing, you know, stuff online. I'm not any good. And I had a teacher who may have accidentally kind of affirmed that for me. And, I mean, I think the most important thing any teachers who are listening, the most important thing you can do is not especially at like the middle and high school level, get in the way of kids' passions. If kids are passionate about something, it's not worth telling them they're not good at it unless they're doing something dangerous. I mean, like if I were saying, I'm not going to go to college, I'm going to quit school and I'm going to make a living as a writer full-time at 17. Yeah, don't don't let me do that. Like that's right. time step back. But what I'm saying, you know, I'm really passionate about writing and this is where I want to explore stuff. Don't hold anyone back from that. Let kids explore that because you never know what you're going to find. And right. I... Well- that a little too seriously so i think that's part of it too yeah no i can i can see that and it's i think it's about you know being you know being critical but constructively like i think that's okay you know it's but if you know that's really what they want to do i think you have to be honest and you know be uh up with the kid like saying like are it's not good enough yet but 
keep working at it. Like, you know, don't just, yeah, give them that discouragement just to stop completely just because, no, this isn't good when you're 12 years old. So it's not going to work out for you. To be fair, she was really looking at my work as a writer of prose, not as a writer of scripts. And I will say that I think that once I got into the concept of script writing and writing to be spoken instead of to be read, I found a place for myself because one of my biggest strengths as a writer, and I can say this because I've spent enough time honing my skills, is that I write very distinct characters with their own voices. And I think there is something to be said for being able to put that out there as something that people will hear as opposed to something people will read. Sure. And she may have just not been able to look. I'm, she, she was teaching high school. Like, I don't right, know that she yeah. really was <laughs> the best literary critic, but she was my literary critic at the moment. So right. I think that's for any kids who are listening. Your high school teachers don't know everything. They know a lot of things and they can be wonderful people, but they should not be the determining factor in major life decisions. Exactly. Yep. There you have it. You just put that on a quote somewhere and abide by that. Boom. We have it. <laughs> um, now, what can you tell me about pilot season? Uh, you got this uh, mini, mini web series. Is it, what would you call it a web series? Well, you're going to talk about it. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you got this. Uh, it started because of the pandemic. Have you always had this idea? Like, walk me through this a little. Well, I actually, I've been keeping a line of day journal for the last two and a half years, and I went through an entry from about a year ago today, and it said, I just realized I will be here until the fall of 2021. And that feeling of panic, I mean, I think, because I remember reading about a year ago at this time that we'd get a vaccine by like September of this year. And I was under the impression that we were pretty much going to be in and out of lockdowns, but predominantly in lockdowns until that happened. And I like panicked. Like, I just thought, I I don't know what I'm going to do. And I had been doing online singing shows at that point, but I said, these are amazing, but exhausting. Cause my online singing shows, I would do a different show every other week. So I would literally get all new music every other week. I did this for five months. It was a lot of work. And so what I decided to do was step back from that. And I had these pilot scripts that I had written at different times. And I thought, we can't make them like go into a studio and film them, but we all are getting the hang of this zoom thing. And we can, you know, create little transitions between them so they don't just look like Zoom rooms. And that's what we wound up doing. So I was able to take five pilots. Each one is the pilot for a different series. And they're all a little different. They range from like really broad family comedy that's like your, you know, satirical family sitcom all the way to this very intimate dramedy that I keep comparing to better things, the Pamela Avalon show. And each one has kind of a different focus, obviously different characters, different story, different world that it's building but they all kind of fall into my brand of humor and they're each a half hour. So it was a really interesting experience to create TV this way. Cause I think we're going to see more of that. I think, especially when we start seeing media about the pandemic, we're going to see a lot more zoom as the medium to put it out there. And right. I felt like I was kind of ahead of the curve and it was a fun thing to do too. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's awesome that, yeah, you, you found a way to be creative and it's to me, you know, what I take from that, you said, you know, people are getting uh, used to zoom. It's crazy just how the new norm changes, you know, your normal changes. Cause I used to, um, me and my, I call him my estranged co-host, even though he joins still sometimes, but, uh, he, uh, you know, we, would always do it in person. And then when, you know, uh, even before the pandemic, you know, sometimes he wouldn't, you know, feel like driving over. So 
we would be like, you want to try Skype in it maybe? Because that was when it was Skype was the big thing, not Zoom. Uh, and then, you know, Zoom came along with the pandemic, but it was like, they were, those shows were so different and they were so like awkward. Like we're not in person, but it's just, you know, now that we're on Zoom, it's just like, it's crazy how this is just normal now. Like, it's like, we're going to do a show, it's on Zoom and you know, that's it. You know, it's, it's just insane to me just how how normals change and you might have changed you know how tv shows are now like you said so and that's great it's nuts i was about a year ago a little over a year ago before the pandemic really started i was talking to a woman named shoshana greenberg who does the scene to song podcast and i appeared on her show and i was her first non-local guest so i think we filmed like early march and she was like i guess we could try skype and i said okay whatever that works for me and I went on her show. She does an end of year like recap show where she brings back everyone who was on the show. And we have like a big discussion. And she was like, you know, Victoria, when you and I did that interview on Skype and it was like so confusing and difficult, I was not expecting that by the end of the year, I was going to be an expert. Like that was my training ground. Right. Interviews. And now I want to go back on her show and we've been talking about it because I would love to go on and try it now that she's a pro and I'm a pro because we were both kind of flailing around. I don't know how we did it. I, I don't know how we did it, but now I think if we did it, we'd be like experts. Yeah. It's like you, you get used to the delay. Like everyone knows there might be a little delay. So you just go with it. And you know, it's whereas before it was just like, uh, you talk no i talk no you talk you know it's 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 so weird like that but uh no it's great and it's uh, you know it looks like you got a, you know a lot of people to uh uh you know do those uh shows for the pilot season what's how many how many different actors did you have there were 60 roles and we had 43 60. actors and wow. what i appreciated was that um mostly friends were the ones who did multiple roles people i already knew but then like there was an incident right off the bat where somebody dropped out like at the last minute, she's like, I just can't do it. And there was a girl that I had met. I can say girl because she's under 18 um, <laughs> through um, another person who was in the show. And I was like, hey, would you mind just coming in and doing this? You know, you, you don't you don't leave your house. Just sit in your room. She's like, yeah, why not? So she did it a second time. Or like I had a guy who dropped out later in the show and a guy that I had used early. I was like, you know, I could just picture you reading this part. So he said, yeah, OK, fine, I'll do it. Um, so we had a little bit of continuity in that regard, even though there's no continuity between the stories. And then we also had. I mean, every episode was completely different in that regard, but it was nice to have faces every week too, because I could say like, okay, well, you remember when you were in this episode last week that we had no idea how to do this. And now we are totally on top of it. It was, and it it was just fun to have repeat customers, if you will. What, uh, did you have anyone that's never done any sort of acting before that probably wouldn't have done it with Zoom or no, or, you know, wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for Zoom, I should say. This isn't quite Zoom. But I did well, have yeah, sorry. Act- no, no, it, no, I don't mean that. I mean, this person didn't quite do it on Zoom, but I did have a 44th actor. Um, so my sister's boyfriend of two years, I, I got to shout out Kyle here. Kyle has been incredible this entire pandemic because he's had to put up with my entire family's various <laughs> needs when it comes to, you know, quarantining and all that. And he has been so respectful. Love Kyle. Kyle. <laughs> my sister would edit his place because it was quiet and she could spend time with her boyfriend. So she took all the shows over there and I would get calls from him or texts from him where he'd be like quoting lines from my shows to me. He was paying such close attention to her editing and he really was enjoying himself. And in the last episode, we needed someone to yell, shut up, like <laughs> screen, just yell, shut up. And now this is Kyle. Could you just do me a favor? I need someone to yell, shut up. Could you just like yell, shut up? So the first time he does it, he's like, shut up. And now he's like, no, you need to yell, shut up. Like you're like <laughs> on the street and someone's screaming. And he said, I, I don't want to be mean. Like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. And she says, Kyle, it's acting. You're not being mean. Just 
please just yell, shut up. And so he thinks about it for a minute. He realizes, okay, it's just acting. And he yells, shut up. <laughs> Man, he had, to, he had to do multiple takes for his line he didn't even know he was going to have. And, <laughs> and what's even funnier is he was so good at it that his parents were watching anyway because they were just extremely supportive. And they called Natalie, my sister, after they saw them, like, where was Kyle? What, what did Kyle do? And she's like, oh, you got to go back into the shot. They were shocked that that came out of their chair. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's no, that's that's great that uh, he yeah, he got a part in it. You know, he's especially these quoting lines to you. That's that's hilarious. Um, uh, is there uh, anything else you're working on that you wanted to talk about? Or um, are we are we good in that space? You want to move on to the movie? love to talk about <laughs> well this is interesting because uh, yeah when uh you know i was uh talking to your publicist and you know she said you said troop beverly hills um and i, I it t- took me back for a minute i was like wait what <laughs> um so it's, it's a very interesting choice but i i love it because first of all this is my first time seeing troop Be- beverly hills oh, wow. yep. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I love watching, you know, a movie I've never seen before, which is great. Um, but my first question to you, I, I meant to segue like this. I meant to say, have you ever met Shelley Long? No, actually, okay. mention it. No, um, <laughs> I was at an event when True Beverly Hills turned, I want to say, thir- no, it just turned 30. So it must have been 25. Yeah. It must have been 25. And Shelley Long was there. And she was holding this little dog, like this maybe six pound dog in her arms like this the whole time she was talking. <laughs> but um, I never actually met Okay. But um, no, yeah. I do. Yes, that I, I did see that. I guess that was the 25th anniversary. Okay. So you, you saw her. You saw her from afar. From so yes. yeah, <laughs> oh, that's great. But uh, so yeah, the, the Troop Beverly Hills from 1989 was starring obviously Shelley Long, uh, direct, directed by Jeff Canoe? Uh, do you do you know how to say? It? Is that is that right? That's right, but then watch yeah. you and you'll be he'll be like, nope, that's not it. And you'll be like, yeah, you, it, you know this? <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I did my best. Um, so so first of all, I mean, why this movie? Why why did you pick this movie? Okay, well, this is where I get to show my little bit of like background stuff. I am from Beverly Hills. I was born and raised in Beverly Hills, California. And at the 25th anniversary event, I discovered that the movie was inspired by a true Girl Scout troop. And it was the Girl Scout troop I was a member of years later. So I wow. was actually in Troop Beverly Hills. And wow. I just love this movie. I think it is such a great send up of late 80s culture, what people think Beverly Hills is like, rich people. And I'll tell you, there is no better sequence in my mind for history of this community than that Rodeo Drive scene, so- see Rodeo in the 80s. Yeah. So yeah. So you have like yeah. So wow. So this is your movie. You were, wow. That that is incredible. I'm speechless right now. That's uh, <laughs> that's crazy. So I mean, so you can totally relate to this movie a lot in multiple ways. The the Beverly Hills side, but also the Girl Scout side, uh, or the troop side. Whatever you know. Is it because this is just a spoof off of uh, oh. Girl Scouts, right? Because they probably couldn't use the name. I assume. No, no, no. They were the wilderness girls. And oh, they were? No, in the movie, they're the wilderness girls. Oh, okay. I was, I was going to say, like... Girl Scouts. Um, yeah. No, they're the it, wilderness girls. Yeah, that's, they're the wilderness girls, but obviously, you know, uh, you know, yeah. Girl Scout. Yeah, so... 
Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's insane. So you got both sides of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely an eighties movie. You can tell, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's got, you know, first of all, classic one-liners and, you know, uh, you know, it's it. Even the movies I love in the '80s, you know, it's got cheesiness in it, which is you know part of the reason we we like these movies. When uh, when were you first introduced to this movie? Oh my gosh, um, I so I'm on the youngest end. My sister and I are the youngest of our generation of cousins. So growing up, all of the older cousins would watch stuff like this because they were just not quite at the age where they wanted the like really intense stuff, but not quite young enough that they were only interested in princess movies. So this was like a middle ground, and. Um, I would say I watched, I probably didn't remember the first time I watched it, but I know by the time I was like four or five, I was quoting lines from the movies. So. Wow. <laughs> That's hilarious. What's a uh, quote a line from it right now? Boom. Well, in high school, my friends and I used to say to each other, we thought it was the funniest insult or not insult, but just funniest line. Um, that frosts my cookies. Um, <laughs> she yells in the middle of, she's covered in mud. She's like miserable. And like at the end of her row, Shelly Longstreet, she yells, that frosts my cookies. And we're just like, <laughs> That is the nicest way of saying what you're thinking. And right. That was good. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. There was like I said, like again, this was my first watch, and yeah, I was I was catching you know those one liners here and there, and I was just like, man, this is I can't believe I've never seen this before because you know I'm always quoting '80s movies and everything. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it follows you know a, a, a divorcee who's kind of living that Hollywood life, who's you know spending his money, spend, <laughs> spending his you know credit cards. Have you do do you know do you know a Phyllis uh, Neffler? Have you oh. met many Phyllis Nefflers? Oh yeah, I have for sure met Phyllises, and um, they're they're a real thing. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think that they're definitely a bit of a stereotype, but the stereotype exists for a reason, right? And I do know women like that. Um, so she's very much a kind of character that when I watch the movie, I'm like, yep, yeah, I can name three or four women who would do exactly that or who have done things like that. So for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Cause yeah. I mean, she's yeah. Spending, spending his money, you know, trying to get even discounts on it, even though she's spending his money, you know, she's like, I think that bid beads missing from this dress. Wait, you know? I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> the costumes in that movie are for that time in particular unparalleled because it's just like a fashion show the whole way through. Right. Yeah. It, it's, um, you know, it's, it, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I'm, I got the giggles now. Um, because you know, Shelly Shelly Long does that to me. You got you got Craig T. Nelson playing uh, her husband, her divorcee husband. Um, who I, I that's what I was gonna say. So the the five thousand. It was supposed to be like a fifty six hundred dollar dress, and she gets it yeah. down to five thousand. Like yeah. even for California, like holy crap! Like that's that's just insane to me. Even in especially for nineteen eighty nine, like oh. holy crap. <laughs> But no, I know, and I mean that's just one thing she buys on this yeah. shopping I mean, this woman has no sense of like self-control when it comes to spending. And I think one of the jokes that the Betty Thomas character makes a lot is that she has absolutely no regard for a dollar at all. Right. Um, I mean, I can't I, I just can't even fathom that. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah, especially for, especially that time and yeah, for just a a piece of clothing, you know. It's it's uh insane. So sp- speaking of uh, her character is um as you said Betty Thomas's character, uh we have uh oh, I just had her name. What's her Olive name in the movie? 
What was it? Velda, that's her name. Velda, thank you, Velda. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, she she right away is uh, is not a not a big fan of uh, Shelley Long's. I go in between saying the actor and the character, so you know, just bear oh. with me. <laughs> um, you know, she uh, she is yeah, constantly going back and forth, and you know, it's. Uh, it's just so interesting because yeah i mean she you know tries to sabotage everything and you know doesn't but shelly long always ends up on top you know it's always you know her uh you know defeating the system defeating everything uh, about it but you know at first shelly long kind of comes off as you know not a not a certainly likable character just because she's you know off spending her husband's money you know she's just kind of like you know doesn't have any responsibilities um but uh you know at first she sort of does this girl scout thing this w- sorry the wilderness uh tribe the wilderness uh no here. <laughs> i know right <laughs> you know she she starts off you know with um that is, you know just to kind of try to prove to her husband that i can i can do other things but you know this the story kind of goes along and she actually grows an attachment with these girls. So I, th- I found that to be a, you know, more inspiring uh, part of this movie and kind of more uh, character development is definitely uh, earned in this movie. I felt uh, so, I mean, so yeah, I mean, what, what are your thoughts initially on uh, Phyllis? Like, are, are we, are we not to, you know, are we just, she's just a spoiled brat. Like what are, what are your initial thoughts on her when we first see her? I know you've seen this movie a hundred times, but this is my first time. Yeah. Well, no, I think the thing that I didn't understand until I got a little older about Phyllis is really encapsulated in that first scene between Shelley Long and Craig T. Nelson, which is she doesn't know what she's doing. Like she's not, she doesn't have a direction with her life. Like her purpose is kind of to wear pretty clothes and go buy more of them. And she's never com- like kept up with anything she's committed to. That's the big thing is every time she makes a commitment, she bails on it. So being able, she wants to prove that she can keep up with a commitment and she figures she'll take the easy road. Like in one scene, she takes the girls camping. And um, I mean, that was like glamping before glamping. She has the tent rental company set up all the tents and Abbey Rents, which they referenced in the movie was a real company here in Beverly Hills. And um, so they set up all the tents and when their campsite gets rained out, she takes them to a bungalow at the Beverly Hills Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she's determined to sort of make it work Phyllis style. And at first you think, okay, she's just gonna bail. She's, she's gonna give up. But eventually she learns how to take Phyllis style and combine it with something workable in the real world because she loves these girls. And as a side note, those girls, Kelly Martin was one of the girls. Yep. Lewis was one of the girls, Carla Gugino, like that cast was incredible. Yeah. And even, uh, yeah, I think Tori Spelling was in there. She's, uh, yeah. yeah, there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, future talent in this movie, which yeah, is, uh, is, it was interesting to see now with, uh, with, these older eyes um <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's it's yeah it's great to see i love that yeah when she's uh you know they're supposed to be camping and they end up at the at the hotel and it's just uh you know and, and, uh, and she's like that campsite you talk about has rain and there are bugs there <laughs> just like, <laughs> it's camping lady like yeah. <laughs> yeah and then she says something about you know you know we're, we're rough in it we only have one bathroom with like nine girls like of course we're rough in <laughs> like that's yeah. her that's her roughing it is you know just going with one bathroom with uh with multiple people and I just the snark in that film as a kid just flew over my head because i didn't get right that. i was like okay they've got one bathroom cool and 
this is not particularly odd to me. And then as an adult, I'm like, this is, that is one of the funniest lines. <laughs> or when she's with the girls, I tell like scary stories and her scary stories that she got firm. Um, <laughs> the color she wanted from her highlights. I mean, it's just like, it's such clever comedy that I feel like it's one of those movies that you can show to a kid and they'll enjoy it. And you show it to an adult and be like, oh my God, that was funny. Right. <laughs> like she's, yeah, starts off the story with like, he touched me with his cold hands and they're like, oh, <gasps> like, just- he heard me. <laughs> It's like, yeah, that is that is quite terrifying. That is, <laughs> oh man. Um, it was interesting seeing uh, Craig T. Nelson in this uh, type of role for me because you know I'm used to you know seeing him. Oh well, first of all, I was just getting Incredibles the whole time he he talked because you know obviously he did the voice of Mister Incredible. Uh, perhaps at this point, you know his most famous role probably. Um, he was coach in uh, the old sitcom Coach, but uh, but yeah, it was interesting. I don't know why it was interesting seeing him as kind of you know that husband who just wants to kind of having a midlife crisis and wants to just go off with the you know the real the she, the daughter initially said she was a realtor and everything, but um. This, uh, but this movie, I mean, it, it seems like it has it's more of a cult following at this point. I mean, it seems like you, you know, obviously grew up with it, but uh, I hear it's now like a cult movie because it, it de- didn't necessarily do too well with, you know, critics and everything um, with which 80s comedy. I mean, typically that's the case but uh but it has a cult following you know it's got a you know a lot of you know uh feminism involved in this movie uh do you know anything about this this cult following oh i definitely think that girls of a certain age and women well obviously we're not women but women of a certain age grew up with this movie i was in um some women's organization a few years ago and we were doing different like team building activities and one team decided for their team building activity, they were going to dress up as the red feathers, you know, the rival girl scout. Yeah, right. girl and I mean, everyone immediately knew who they were the minute we saw them. We were all freaking out. Or like I heard Kim Kardashian for one of her children had a troop Beverly Hills themed baby shower. So I wow. think there's definitely like a culture around this film for young women for whom it was a childhood film. And in that case, Kim was born in like 81. So yeah, she was yeah. Girl. when it came out, it would have had a big impact. And I think, the other one like that, although it's about 10 years later, is The Parent Trap with Lindsay Lohan, mm-hmm. which I've also seen a million and a half times. And I don't know if kids today have seen it as much, but when I was a kid, every girl saw The Parent Trap on repeat. So I think there are movies like that that have these sort of little girl audiences. And when the girl audience grows up and becomes a woman audience, they either embrace that film or they decide, oh, my God, what were we thinking? And sure. Um, in the case of True Beverly Hills, I think we realized, oh my God, we, we were actually sleeping on just how funny it was. We didn't yeah. kids. So that's where I think the cult following comes from is girls who grew up seeing the movie. Yeah, definitely. Girls growing, and it seems like California girls, especially because, oh, yeah. you know, like you said, Kim Kardashian, um, you know, it's, uh, and, and yourself, obviously. And, you know, it's definitely, you know, like you said, it's it's totally relatable with, uh, with, the the um you know Shelley Long's character but I love you know when the parents are dropping them all off the different types of parents there are you know when they're initially dropping them off at the uh initial meeting that Shelley Long's supposed to go to you got one uh like poet or writer or something lady who's getting advice from her daughter of what to say here the romance novelist and like the dictator right (laughs) 
<laughs> high powered attorney and the film director and like down is like actor like you got a little bit of everything it's just the most like stereotypical what could we throw into beverly hills that would indicate lots of wealth and status and they they, they hit everything so I mean, yeah, you have so many, you know, just yeah, <laughs> this culmination of you know Beverly Hills parents, and it's uh, uh, what, what I'm trying to think when uh, uh, French pres- French uh, French Fresh Prince of Bel Air came out because it kind of seems like you know they might have drew inspiration from this a little just because you know they're you have someone from the city yeah. coming into this, you know, area and it's just like, wow, you guys are so pompous and you know, all, <laughs> all this, but I don't know That's if they, the thing. I feel like in the eighties that we were kind of in this sort of, and having not really lived through the eighties, I'm seeing it from a historical lens. I was born in the nineties. Um, but I think there was definitely this balance between like lifestyles of the rich and famous and like, Oh, people want to be that. And also like, but that's so much, there's so much snark material. Like I can imagine if Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous were on today, there would be snark blogs devoted to what people oh. saw, like McMansion. Like I'm almost sorry we never got a reboot just for the snark blog. Right. <laughs> so I think that the closest we came to a snark blog in the 80s was writing a film that sort of satirized that population. And this film definitely did. But like with surprisingly realistic results in some cases. Now, admittedly, my Girl Scout troop did not have those kind of girls. I think, I mean, everyone's family had various levels. of. I mean, we definitely didn't only have wealthy girls in our troop, but um, we also definitely didn't do things like camp at the Beverly Hills Hotel. So, <laughs> yeah. a bit exaggerated, but I can also see where that totally could have been a Girl Scout troop here at that time. Like, I can totally yeah. see it. Yeah, I mean, you gotta, I mean, it's a movie. You gotta exaggerate it and make oh, yeah. it, you know, more, you know more outlandish and everything um and you know because you, you have uh well and i i like how they make um you know it not about like there, there's a lesson here in this movie even you know it could be just a silly 80s movie but there is a lesson you know there's they come to the point where they have to sell the wilderness girls cookies um not the the other ones cookies um <laughs> um you know they have to sell the cookies and you know the the parents are just like all right we'll just buy a bunch and then shelly's like no because they need to learn the you know the the sense of community and the sense of you know the the sense of earning it for yourself and and all that so i i appreciate that appreciated that about this movie if there's you know one movie about you know character development as much as i think that phrase is over said and everything but uh <laughs> And I and I use it a lot now, even though I think it's oversaid. But you know, it's uh, it's definitely a movie about character development because I mean, it's you know, you got Shelley Long who's spending this money like crazy, you know, and just living that pompous lifestyle, and then she goes from you know to 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 the wilderness scouts girls. I mean, the wilderness troop. I mean, the girl troop. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just, I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, there is a lesson in this movie and it's not just, you know, they don't just brush over or anything. I Oh, totally. And I yeah. think the truly humanizing thing about her character from the beginning, and it really develops as we get to know the other girls in the troop is how much she cares initially about her daughter and then as we see her interact with the other girls, how much they matter to her. Like there's that one scene where Chica's parents leave her alone on her birthday. And yep. Chica's like, you know, the sort of reserved sort of snobby girl who doesn't, she acts like she doesn't care about anything. And of course she comes to Phyllis in tears because her parents left her alone on her birthday and Phyllis improvises a little party. And I mean, you just, you see how this woman just wants these girls to have a good experience. And I think that is like the humanizing factor. Even if you're like, oh, I can't stand this woman and her crazy shopping habits and your, her whatever, you cannot deny 
that she puts in the time as a caring person. And I think that's one of those admirable traits that then pushes her. I won't say character development. I'll say storyline. <laughs> I'll say storyline. Thank for, you. It takes her from, you know, just being a shopaholic to being the head of a very quirky little wilderness girls troupe. It's yeah, definitely. Yeah, that that part, and even the, even the scene when you know the girl didn't have the seven fifty or whatever um, for something. Again, I've only seen it once. Uh, she she had like you know it was only I think seven dollars and fifty cents, not seven hundred and fifty dollars. She didn't have seven fifty, and she you know runs off and she's all embarrassed about it. And Shelley Long goes after her. She you know she's and <laughs> it's kind of comical when she's going after her. I forget it. Well, she's shouting something, but it's just I don't know the way she's doing it is just is just funny. Shelley Long. I think is definitely a underrated, you know, comedic actress. Uh, you know, I feel feel like she kind of fell under the radar almost with, uh, you know, famous comedic actresses or, you know, uh, female actors, you know, it's just because, yes, yeah, I think she's just outstanding in this movie. Oh, I adore Shelley Long. I think she yeah. was one of the I think she brought a human side to Diane that was incredible. And yeah. she was this and then I'll tell you clearly Betty Thomas also noticed that because Betty Thomas directed the Brady Bunch movie a few years later and cast her as Carol Brady oh. I mean I just think she really has and I'm saying has because she still probably does have an exceptional comedic gift and I'm glad that she wound up then getting that role in the Brady Bunch movie because I could talk about that movie for another day and a half yeah <laughs> that, that's another great movie in this sort of snark vein and um, no Betty Thomas clearly recognized it after working with her on this and then brought her into that yeah, that's yeah, that's great. Yeah, that uh, yeah, she was recognized, and I mean, maybe it's just me, and I'm I'm I I just don't th- maybe I just don't think of her that way, you know. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was great to see her, and you know do so great in this film from 1989 that I've never seen until now. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think you're wrong, though. I think that there is definitely, I think right now there is a moment where we're talking a lot about actresses who haven't necessarily gotten their fair shake, whether it's that society has treated them poorly or they just weren't quite given the breaks because of like a misunderstanding. I think, and obviously this is me speaking from a very outside perspective, I think Shelley Long fell in to sort of people assume she was a diva or that she wanted something special when she left Cheers and use that against her and as an excuse to not hire her when in actuality choosing to leave a show is not really, I mean, right. all the time. So I think that it was an unfortunate situation and a sense that I think people felt like she, maybe she shouldn't have left. But at the same time, I think that part of what made Cheers last so long is that they had this reset of the story. So right. you know, some of the later iconic Cheers episodes, you had to have that happen. And to hold it against someone professionally is, in my opinion, absurd. Yeah. Well, and especially, I mean, that time though is, I think it's absurd too, because I mean, at that time, it seems like to go to TV was a downgrade and to go to movies was the, you know, was the, was the thing to do. Whereas now it's like kind of on a, uh, it's a level playing field almost like you'll have huge actors, you know, do a TV show now, whereas in the past you wouldn't see a movie actor go to TV. Um, so yeah, that's definitely interesting, you know, that, uh, that it was like that, that it's like, what, what, what is she doing? It's like, isn't that what, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Go from TV to movies. But yeah, it's, it's crazy how, how TV has changed. That's for sure. For the better. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I think it's, I mean, like I think back to my grandfather, like we were talking about him earlier. I mean, when he was a TV writer, it was like theater was the high art and then film was the acceptable art. And then TV was like, Oh, you're a joke writer on TV. Yeah. But they were so much more than that. They shaped culture in a way that the theater and film people could not because it was very easy to get a TV in your home. 
Right. And when we think about what really shaped American popular culture in the later part of the 20th century, it was television. It was Mary Tyler Moore. It was All in the Family. It was, frankly, everything Norman Lear did. That's what she, Seinfeld, I mean, what shaped yeah. our culture, and I can even call cheers into this, what shaped our culture was what was on TV screens. So to have treated it like the ugly stepchild for that long was a huge oversight on the part of society. And I'm really grateful that we've moved past that and acknowledged the power that TV has and the ability it has had to unite our culture for the last like 70 years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, that's and seems like that's what uh, we're going to be watching things on for a long time now. So, <laughs> you know, movies are coming out and you can just watch it at, right in the comfort of your own home. So it's like, you know, it's yeah. And it's just it's such a not to go on a TV tangent, but it's just such a, you know, better form of storytelling, not better form, but it's just a you can get into more depth. You can get into, you know, more character development no uh you get into more story you can get into more you know you just get into more with uh with the tv structure because you know it's it's you know uh, multiple hours rather than just you know two hour drama three hour drama something like that so um but yeah yeah and i think it's great that it's not seen as a step back for actors or writers too because you wind up getting some really fascinating material out of people who would in a previous generation have thought that it was beneath them. And I think that there is something to be said, like, for example, I recently read an article that's about 11 or 12 years old about a man who was executed potentially wrongfully in Texas um, and the case to try to get him exonerated before he was ultimately executed. And I found out that the article was turned into a movie. And I was thinking, I feel like this had a lot more than two hours worth of material. Like you could have a whole episode on the screw ups at the trial alone. Like there's a mini series waiting to happen here. Yeah. think that we have to stop acting like well if you put it on a movie screen it's special you put it on a tv screen it's for everyone it's like no there are just many different ways to approach a story and to approach whether you need hours and hours and hours or years of time to really get your story across or whether you can do it in like a two hour hour and a half format and to act like one is superior to the other is just short-sighted oh absolutely yeah definitely and yeah i'm glad it seems like yeah hollywood has gotten past that point so and let's let's keep it that way folks let's keep it that way um what are your thoughts on phyllis and craig t nelson's character getting back together at the end what are your thoughts on that someone who has seen this a hundred times okay so most of my life i was like that's just how it's supposed to end you know happily ever after in love but as i've gotten older i don't necessarily think it was the i I get why for the story it was the right move I don't necessarily think it was the right move for her. And I think that looking at it from a 21st century perspective, honestly, he did some very jerky things. Like when he basically sprung the whole custody battle on her and like, like they clearly were not a good match. So I feel like from an eighties perspective, that's how the story had to end from a 2010s perspective. A big part of the story would be Phyllis reclaiming her independence and acknowledging that she didn't need this guy who clearly didn't give her the respect she deserved. Right. So that's how I feel about that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. Cause I guess I'm, yeah, I'm looking at it, like you said, with 2021 eyes. So it's like, it's just like, wow, why is she giving this guy another chance? You know, but I think 89 was about the, you know, the happy ending, you know, bringing the family back together and everything. And I like how you even mentions, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's better to be, uh, happily divorced and happily married. Oprah said that even, you know, it brings up Oprah shows the sign of the times then, you know, <laughs> Oprah said it. So you, you know, you, 
you as a woman should know that that's that's like gold right there you know those are golden words coming from her (laughs) um now um so yeah i mean it's uh did 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 you do any sort of uh jamboree like they do in this movie at the end no Um, No. (laughs) mostly did like our little craft or things and like those kind of activities we sold our cookies and we used our cookie money to go to disneyland Ooh. Um, yes so not the Beverly Hills Hotel but Disneyland and yeah. <laughs> um we had a lot of fun we learned a lot I'm a third generation Girl Scout my mom and grandmother were both Girl Scouts too and um so it's something that's always been very important to my family and I just didn't realize until I was older at the 25th anniversary my sister and I looked at each other we said wait they're talking about our troop wait that's the we were in troop Beverly Hills so it took on a new meaning when we heard that um but we never had any of the jamborees. We didn't even go camping as Girl Scouts. I don't think that <laughs> I loved our troop leader. I don't think I cannot see her camping. Or if she were to go camping, she would have been the only one happy camping because yeah. it would not have gone well. So so in real life, you got Beverly Hills uh, or, you know, California was more uh, pompous than the movie was in regards to that aspect. You know, I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm just, you know. You're not entirely wrong. No, right. I mean, I can't imagine. I think back on my Girl Scout troop, and I can't imagine anyone in that troop going camping. I mean, maybe <laughs> now there are a couple of girls who'd be like, "Oh yeah, I'd do that," but I, I can't imagine it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, but but, uh, but yeah, yeah, again, so many lies. I, it, we uh, once did an episode on best comedy villains. Obviously, I hadn't seen that movie when uh, we did this. But I mean, uh, Betty, Betty Thomas, yeah, yeah, Velda, you know, I think she 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 should be on a short list somewhere for comedy villains, uh, oh, you know, because she, she's she's easy to hate. You know, she's uh, and, you know, she's got funny lines and everything. It's uh, and she you know, has no redeemable quality. She doesn't learn any sort of lesson. Speaking of C development, CD, we'll call it CD. Um, <laughs> speaking of that, you know, like she, she just stays a evil witch till the end, it seems. And she gets worse and worse because more and more people have learned to love Phyllis and her vendetta against Phyllis just gets deeper and deeper. Right. It's almost like, I just think Betty Thomas shines in that role because she just clearly was having the time of her life. Yeah. Like a character who had nothing good going for her. And <laughs> there's one scene even that I always think is, I mean, and I says as an animal lover, I think it's a truly hilarious scene where she accidentally, you know, she shoots her gun off. She shoots a bird and she's like, oh, well, okay. Or then there's another one where there's like a possum or a skunk or something out yeah. there. She shoots it the next day. It's her hat. I mean, <laughs> I'm an, like I said, I'm an animal lover. I don't condone violence against animals. Right. The way it suits Velda's character is just so funny. Yeah, yeah. She picks up the skunk because she's like, because I think the skunk is what chased the uh, Shelley Long's tribe or group out of the, the lead, right? Yeah, and she like picks it up and says, "You'll pay for this." And I'm like, "Wait, how is she going to pay for this?" And then yeah, next scene you see her. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, right. It's like, oh, okay. Well, there you have it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 her, 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 you know, obviously her um, meanness kind of carries on to her daughter, even who is like, none of the mom stuff. She kept telling to her daughter, none of the mom stuff. And the daughter's like, oh, sorry, sir. <laughs> Calls her sir. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they basically leave her with a broken ankle, you know, and it's just like, man, you, you know, you, you get what uh, you get, what you put out there, you know, it's yeah. uh, what you expect her to do. Her unhappy ending. She, for sure. When the girls, when the, when the red feathers abandoned her, I was like, this is exactly what you taught them to do. 
Yep. <laughs> exactly. It's not to you, but this is exactly what you taught them to do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They're they're learning by your example, oh. Missy. I mean, that's why uh, your your assistant uh annie i think your name annie her assistant yeah. annie yeah that she was you know that you had spy on uh shelly long and in the in the wilderness girls and uh you know she even turned on you because you you you, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar oh, I yeah. just, you treated her like a person and yep. like, you know actually gave her a dose of confidence and joy and i mean all the way down to like audra lindley playing the um head of the like wilderness girls i guess like southern california branch who's like oh Velda, done with her send her off to the pick and save where she can start calling for you know yarn sales in aisle five or whatever i mean it, yeah, really, there's a lot of poetic justice in that ending. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. In the Kmart with the the blue blue light savings and all that. Yeah, that was <laughs> so perfect. easy too. I just love that. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you had me uh, watch this movie. You know, again, I like seeing. Uh, I, I say new movie, but it's been out for you know 31 years, 32 years. Um, and uh, you know, it's uh, was there anything else you wanted to to say about the movie? Did we miss uh miss anything any lines you wanted to say that that we blew over <laughs> you know i just have to say though as someone who grew up in beverly hills i feel like it's a privilege to have media about this community because beverly hills gets a really weird reputation it's not the community people think it is from the outside we have a decent side we have 10 percent of our residents living below the poverty line we have a huge percentage of people who live here um in apartments specifically to send their children to beverly hills schools we have this divide between the wealthy. I mean, like we were talking about class divide and like wealth gaps. We have the wealthiest of the wealthy and then some very poor people who have the unfortunate thing of having to say, yes, I need services. And my zip code is 90210. So yeah. <laughs> having this kind of like moment captured that isn't just about like, oh, Beverly Hills, Beverly. It's like, it, it feels like a really, like someone actually took a camera and walked around the city. And I feel like this film, Clueless, um, the Beverly Hillbillies, really give us that time capsule feel because the Beverly Hills of today is so different and seeing what Beverly Hills was like then is an important part of history. I mean, that's true. Yeah. I just feel like I live in one that gets a reputation that could sometimes be corrected. And, and I will tell you another thing this morning in honor of our little chat, I walked over to Phyllis Neffler's house, which is still standing. This is painted white because it's not the 80s anymore. <laughs> and I also walked by the hill area where she chases after Emily and Emily gets stopped by her friend because I was like, you know, I got to do that in honor. And I just think it's so cool that no matter how much has changed, some of that stuff is never going anywhere. And that house is still there. That hill is still there. So yeah. it's a letter. as much as it's a satire, it's a love letter to this city. And um, for me, as someone who grew up here, I enjoy seeing that. Yeah, no, and it makes sense why you picked it now. I totally get it, and yeah, like you said, it's uh, it doesn't, yeah, you know, kind of paints the picture as to you know that you know it's not necessarily the lifestyle you should be living that she was living in at the beginning, and she she even learns that, and you know, it's uh, she has a better relationship with her daughter and ends up with her you know uh, conniving ex husband even uh, as much as you would like to disagree with it but yeah <laughs> you know um, it's uh, but yeah no I'm, I'm so glad uh, you know I, I I have experienced this movie now now I uh, when my daughter gets a little bit older I want to show her it so oh, thank you I for that it. so <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am this is a great movie to talk about 
Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, now, where uh, where can people get updates on you? Where Do you have social media that can, people can find you on and all that jazz? I sure do. And all that. <laughs> um, I have my Instagram, which is at the Victoria Gordon. And my website is www.thevictoriagordon.com. Um, and either of those places, you can find my work. You can find upcoming projects. You can find photos more than you want to know about me you can contact me i always respond so please feel free to reach out and um that's basically where i am online is the victoria gordon there you go well thanks so much for chatting with me today thanks this was a blast Well, there you have it. Troop Beverly Hills with Victoria Gordon. Hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it myself. Glad I got a chance to finally watch a 32-year-old film. Uh, It was great. Uh, You know, again, like I said in the episode, I like uh, watching movies I've never seen before, discovering new movies, um, even, even if it's a cheesy 80s movie. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at BlockbusterCast. You can follow our Instagram at Blockbuster Mentality. That's where you're going to get all the updates on when new episodes come out um, and everything like that. So uh, uh, another surprise we had this week was uh, uh, Greg Fitzsimmons. He uh, he shouted us out on his show. Uh, he was talking to Stephen Tobolowski, who was also a guest on this show. Uh, so it's always great getting that free advertisement. Thanks, Greg. Um, but uh, no, it's always always great uh, when when guests get together I, I i was a bit of a matchmaker there i'm not gonna lie but you know what, what are you gonna do but uh all right folks well that uh next week we have another guest another movie you'll see you'll see it make sure you're following us on uh, twitter and instagram that's where you'll you'll find out and uh if you're subscribed you'll get the alert when the episode drops uh, I think it's a Tuesday show now. Tuesdays. I think that's what, uh, what we're going for. So, all right, folks. Well, that's it for me. For Victoria, I'm Ben. And as always, grab some popcorn, grab some snacks. We'll catch you guys at the movies. <laughs> <laughs>